You're tuning in to the Be Fiercely You podcast, the podcast where women find their power and confidence by slaying doubt, creating a foundation of self-love, and by tapping into their inner fierce. I am your host, Heather Nicole, and I'm here to help you become the fierce queen you are meant to be. Together, we will conquer your fears, let go of others' judgment, and unlock your inner badass. So who's with me? Are you ready to take your life into your own hands and discover the possibilities that await you? Let's get to it. Hey, 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 Heather here. Welcome back, all of my fierce goddesses that are out there in the world, all my loyal listeners. I love you all and appreciate all of your support and every time you listen, every time you like a post, every time you share a post, it means the world to me. So I just had to do a quick shout out for all of my my followers out there, my loyal followers who have been following me for a while and have been supporting me. It just really means a lot and I love you guys. Um, so I have had an awesome fucking week so far and um not gonna give out any spoilers right now but it's been a good fucking week and it is just proof that the more you truly focus on the things that matter to you and less on the things that are out of your control the happier you'll be and I can be good about it um, but you know, it's, it's hard. It's really, really fucking hard. Um, so just like anybody else, because we're all human, you know, we, we fall into these habits and patterns sometimes that kind of push more of a negative outlook and a negative mindset. And when we do that, our happiness goes straight down the fucking drain. Um, you know, we worry a lot about things, um, we overthink about things, we stress about things. Um, and I'm not saying that I don't do that stuff at all, even when I'm, you know, things are going well, but you know, it's really what you choose to focus and what you put your energy towards. You know, I definitely have stress in my life right now, but I'm not putting my energy towards that because doing that is not going to do me any good. So I'm choosing to put my energy towards something else, such as recording a podcast, working on something that means something to me, that lights me up and makes me feel good inside. And that's why I stay happy all the time, because I, I constantly do those things. Um, so that's just my little tip for the day. Um, that really doesn't have too much to do with what I'm going to be talking about today, but it was just on my mind and on my heart, and I just wanted to share that with you. Um... So today, what I want to talk about um, is toxic relationships and specifically um, being in a relationship with a narcissist, which I have a PhD in. Um, I've talked about this before. Um, you know, I've done tidbits here and there and different episodes. Um, but this episode, I really want to fully commit to toxic relationships and the red flags that we should be looking for 
Um, and maybe some of the things you do now after being in a toxic relationship that you might not realize some habits or defense mechanisms that you may have picked up and ways that you can work through that. Um, I have spoken with people who tell me things that are going on in their relationship and my brain is immediately like a red flag, red flag, red flag, toxic, toxic, toxic. What are they doing? <laughs> and it's, it's really hard to hear. I'll be honest with you. And the only reason I say that is because I've been that girl. I've been that girl who was in a toxic relationship and had no fucking idea. And that's because some narcissists are just that fucking good. They're just that good. They sink their teeth into you and they manipulate you and they get you wrapped around their finger while at the same time uh, kind of putting this fear in you. Um, a fear of them, a fear of not being with them. Um, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I, I, I see it. I've seen it. I see it firsthand. And the thing that I've learned, not only from being in the situation myself, uh, but from seeing other people in the situation in a toxic relationship is that you're not going to see it until you're ready. And that's just kind of the, the hard truth of it. Um, they're good. They're, if you're in a toxic relationship, I'm sure the people around you know it, but you have these love blinders on and are just so wrapped up in what they say and believing them that you don't even, you just are choosing to look past it. And again, you don't even realize that you're making that choice. They have you, they brainwash you and they manipulate you and they make you think differently than you would if you weren't with them. So before I do, you know, I'm all right, keep getting ahead of myself here. But, um, you know, let's, let's jump into the red flags because I've already kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, these are just things that you need to look for, not only in your own relationships, but maybe in your friend's relationships. You know, maybe you have questions about a your best friend and the person that she's with and you worry about her. Um, or maybe you're in a situation right now and you're like, you know, some things have kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I don't think it's really a toxic relationship. You know, we will work it out and you may work it out. You know, I have full faith in if two people want to be together, they have that desire and they put in the effort, then, you know, you can make it work. Um, but at the same time, you have to protect yourself. And if you do find any of these things that I'm going to list off um, as resonating with you, then maybe you need to take a step back and look at your relationship um, and think to yourself, you know, is this the, the type of relationship that I want to be in? Okay. Um, so the first thing that... Um, I want to touch on, which is 
really like this staple of a narcissist. This is like their go-to thing. And that is gaslighting. And for those of you who don't know what gaslighting is, basically what that means is that they said or did something, um, you comment on it, and then they are able to use their words to make you think that what you saw or what you heard didn't really happen. Okay? So they they it, it's basically a way of making you question your reality. Um it makes you feel like you're fucking crazy. And I know this because I've lived it. Um <clears throat> so let me give you just a couple examples. Um, the first example that always pops to mind when I think of gaslighting and think of my ex, um, it was a situation that we found ourselves in about a year before our divorce and we had, um, a cookout at our house and he had a friend over, <clears throat> a good friend of his, basically like a brother. And, um, we were still hanging out and everything after everybody left. Um, there was a lot of family and stuff that was over and everybody had gone home. Uh, but his close friend had stayed or he hung out with us all the time. So it wasn't abnormal. Um, so I, it was getting super late. You know, we had been drinking. You know, like I said, the cookout was at our house. So of course I was the one that was doing all the cooking and cleaning because I was the wife. And those were my roles and God forbid he helped. So I was exhausted by the end of the day. Um, just from, you know, just everything that goes into entertaining when you have a bunch of people over, you know, you get it. So I was tired. Plus I had been drinking, you know, like I just wanted to go to bed. So I went upstairs and went to bed. Now, mind you, we didn't live in a huge house. The entire second floor was our bedroom. So the steps went right up to our bedroom door and I had left the door cracked and you know it was literally just the door and it went right into the stairwell so it was I, I mean and anything echoed that was that was going on in the room downstairs so I um <clears throat> went upstairs went to bed I hear him on the phone you know and he's talking to somebody I couldn't really tell what he was saying but he was like oh I know he said something about yeah go ahead you can come over um, and again, I didn't really think too much of it because we had had company all day. Like he, he was very sociable. Um, you know, we had people at our house all the time and like, I didn't really think anything of it. So, you know, I just laid in bed, was trying to go to sleep. <clears throat> well, time goes by, there's a knock on the door, people come in and I, he listen and it's two female voices and I'm like, hmm okay, that's weird. Let's, you know, of course my, my listening ear perked up a bit. Um, and I'm like, well, what's going on here? So I'm laying there listening and apparently the girls were looking for some, um, extracurricular activities some marijuana. And my husband at that point of six years 
says, oh, if you give me a blowy, I'll give it to you. And I was like, what? So obviously I ran downstairs. Um, the other girl and her, his friend were sitting in the family room and they're just like looking at me with huge eyes like, oh my God, where did you come from? Um, and I go and swing my bathroom door open and there's my husband with his pants around his ankles and a girl on her knees in front of him about to go to town. Well, obviously I got upset. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Made the girl leave. Um, and me and him got into an argument. Now, like I said, at this point, this was a year before our divorce this was right around the time that I had actually kind of started seeing the red flags and was seeing what was going on with him and was realizing how unhappy I was. But the problem was, like I mentioned before, there's this fear that narcissists put in you. Um, it's a fear. It's, it can either be a fear of leaving them, you know, a fear of how they will react, what they will do. Um, but it's also this fear that they have put in you over time that you are not good enough for anybody else. You're barely good enough for them. Nobody's going to want you. You're, you're damaged. So you don't feel worthy of love. So you convince yourself that this is the only person that's going to love me and want to be with me. So I might as well stick it out. Right, that fear of being alone, that fear of not being wanted by somebody. So they've put this fear in you. So I was at the point, again, like I was aware that there were some red flags and that things weren't so kosher. But I also had this deep-seated fear in me as well. So we get into an argument and it literally ended with him convincing me that I didn't see what I saw. I know I saw what I saw. I know it happened. <laughs> like, it happened. Um, but I let it go. I let it go. And the whole argument turned into me overreacting and me... Um, you know, I should have been as mean to the girl as I was. I should have kicked her out. I was being a psycho for screaming at him, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Everything was on me. I was the one that was reacting wrong to the situation. What he did was fine. That's gaslighting. That's gaslighting. And that's just one example over a 10-year period that I was with him. Um... So if you feel like you have experienced something where, you know, you get into an argument or you express your concern or you, you express your emotions to your significant other, like, hey, you know, it kind of bothers me when you do this. Um, you know, and this is why this is how it makes me feel. And then they turn it around to make you feel as though you're wrong for feeling the way that you're feeling or what you what you're upset about didn't really happen that way that you're crazy for thinking that that's fucking gaslighting that's gaslighting and that 
is a total mind fuck. Like a total mind fuck. I really, for a period of time, thought I was losing my mind. Because no matter what happened, no matter what kind of argument it was, it was always turned around that I shouldn't have been reacting the way I was reacting. I should have been feeling the way I was feeling. And eventually you turn numb and you don't react. You don't share your feelings. You just bottle them up and you just shut down. And that's what I did. And I became so out of touch with my emotions and with the person that I was that I just, I became, you know, depressed. I just became a whole different person. Somebody I didn't want to be. All from gaslighting. All right. That's, that's the, just the first red flag, guys. Um, number two, love bombing, love bombing, either in the beginning of the relationship or even after they do something like quote unquote wrong, because, you know, of course they never do anything wrong, but they, so in my experience, the love bombing will come a lot in the beginning of the relationship. You know, they're convincing you that they are this knight in shining armor Um, You know, that they're everything you wanted, that they're going to make you the happiest person on earth, that you can't live without them, that, you know, um, they're madly in love with you and you're perfect and blah, 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 all, all, you know, all that stuff. Love bombing, just pouring it on almost overkill right in the beginning of a relationship. Okay, then things turn. Okay, that that's when the gaslighting starts. That's when, you know, there's questions of trust that rise, things of that nature, arguments ensue. Okay, then they do something wrong. And after they do something wrong, in order to make it up to you, they love bomb you again by taking you to your favorite restaurant or buying you gifts or you know, sending you flowers or, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is to try to spoil you or whatever. That shit is toxic. It's toxic as fuck. Okay, that is a red flag. When you have conflict in a relationship, you don't resolve it by buying the other person a gift. You resolve it by communicating with each other. And by expressing how you feel and what what changes you can make in the relationship. And then you actively and intentionally work on those things. Taking someone on a trip or buying them something or, you know, maybe even maybe, you know what my my ex would do? It would be like one of those amazing sex sex sessions that wasn't about him for once. He would make it about me. You know, and then he'd get me my favorite bottle of wine and we'd have a a night watching the shows that I wanted to watch. You know, they treat you like the way you actually want to be treated. And then in your brain, you're like, oh, Um, you know, what they did really wasn't that bad. I really do love them. Like, we really do work together. Like, see how well we're working together now. And you convince yourself 
And I'm sorry if you feel like I'm calling you out, but honey, I'm 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 speaking from experience. These are things that I've done and lived. And if it feels like I'm calling you out, then maybe you have some work to do. You have some reflection that you need to take. So the next thing, the next red flag that you need to look out for which I kind of just spoke on, but it's that that unwillingness to communicate, that unwillingness to listen to you and to be respectful of your feelings and your needs and your wants and and what you need to feel fulfilled in a relationship. They're unwilling to do that. If they're unwilling to communicate and speak with you, if you try to talk to them about your day or vent to them or something and they just couldn't be bothered, red flag. Red fucking flag. Okay? Your partner is supposed to be there for you. Okay? A healthy relationship is two people who openly communicate. And if your partner is not willing to do that, you know, if, if you find yourself feeling like you don't ex- get to express yourself or you go unheard or your opinions don't matter, then this is what they're doing to you. They're just shutting off that communication because either they don't want to deal with it or they may be that arrogant that they don't even want to hear anybody else's opinion because they think that they're the only ones that are right. <clears throat> Another thing that goes with communication that really causes a lot of problems that I dealt with a lot um, was the silent treatment. My ex would use that as a tool all the time. All the time. If we got into an argument, like if he did something wrong, he would, instead of communicating, he would storm out, go to his his man cave, whatever the hell you want to call it. And he would stay in there for hours doing God knows what, watching TV or whatever, working on projects, you know. Meanwhile, he knew I was inside upset. And I learned my lesson the hard way because if I went out to him to try to talk to him, it would just turn and it would be a total blow up. He would freak out and lose his temper. And again, it was my fault for not giving for not giving him his space or for constantly um, cr- um, criticizing him or whatever. If they shut down and, and try to use that that silence against you and not communicate. Red fucking flag, red fucking flag. The next thing that a narcissist does, what are we on? Uh, One, four, Um, that a narcissist does oh so well. And this is a tool that they use to control you, um, to keep tabs on you. And this is to cut relationships between you and your family or your friends. They don't want the people in your life to see how poorly they're treating you and talk you out of being with them. Because then their play toy gets taken away. They don't want that. 
So they try to cut you off from those relationships by turning things around, from using things that they've said or done, and try to turn you against them and make you feel as though you don't need them in your life. My ex did this with my parents. Um, he did it with a few of my good friends. By the, by the middle of our relationship, the only people that we hung out with were his friends. People that he knew. And I'm sure part of that was because my friends didn't really want to be around them because they all fucking hated him. And I couldn't see why. Um, but it was also because he didn't want them around. He wanted to be around his friends that he knew had his same mentality and didn't see anything wrong with the way that he treated me. He could talk to me however he wanted in front of his friends and they would never say anything because they treated people the same way. So they didn't see anything wrong with it. Okay, like they will cut you off because they want you, they want to be able to manipulate you. They want to keep you like soft like dough so that they can mold you into what they want and need. And all these things that I've been talking about, that's how they do it. They gaslight you. They love bomb you. They won't communicate with you. They cut you off from your friends and family who may give you sound advice. All because they want to have this control over you. Who you see, what you do, when you do it. Which brings me to yet another red flag is... <clears throat> If they are constantly checking in on you and don't trust you and you haven't even given them a reason not to trust you, they're just doing it because, well, it's probably, which we're, we, they don't want to hear this. It's probably because they have some deep-seated trauma that they haven't dealt with, that they have this fear of either abandonment or you know worried about being cheated on or something like that not that you've given them a reason but it's more than likely what it is but regardless this constant checking up on you and making you this is the twist though making you feel bad for the things that you're out doing Right? So, like, I would be out with my friends in the beginning of the relationship. And he'd text me while we were out and ask me, you know, what I was doing. And he'd text me every couple of minutes. Hey, how's it going? And, you know, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Whatever. Um, and then he'd make me feel bad for being out. Oh, I wish you were here with me. Um, you know, we should be doing things together. Blah, blah, blah. Now, mind you couple years after that into the relationship guess who was going out all the time with his friends and leaving me home alone hmm I wonder because at that point he had already manipulated me and made me believe that it was wrong for me to go out and do things wrong for me to have friends right and those relationships had kind of been severed at that point as well so I didn't have anybody to even really hang out with so I'd sit at home, wait for him to come back, you know, and he'd know where I was the whole time and that he got his control. 
the last red flag that I want to talk about um, before we jump into the next part of this is double standards. Right? They do something and it's okay, but you do something and it's wrong and like the worst thing on the freaking planet. Um, that's not cool. That shit's toxic. Okay? Relationships are supposed to be equal. You are two equal partners that are coming together to build something beautiful and build something bigger. You're there to support one another and be there for one another. Being in a relationship isn't you know, fighting and only doing what the other person wants or letting one person run wild and do whatever they want while the other person, you know, stays home and is treated as though they shouldn't be able to live life. That's a double standard. A perfect example um, that my ex did was um, the locking of the phone, the cell phone. So I, and I mean, at this point, Kaylee was little, you know, so I needed to have a lock on my phone because I didn't want her to just be able to get into my phone and mess around with stuff or whatever. I've always had work stuff on my phone. So <clears throat> I had password on my phone. He had to know what my password was, which at this point, again, I was so manipulated that I was just like, sure, whatever. Um, but he had a password on his phone and I was not allowed to know what it was because he was entitled to his privacy. I was not entitled to privacy. He was entitled to privacy. Now, I'm not saying that you should invade your partner's privacy and that that's okay no that shit's also toxic everybody's entitled to privacy or you're entitled to be open with each other about it but that's something you need to figure out together and how you're going to do that you can't let them manipulate you into thinking that it's okay for them to have their phone locked because we all know what is going on on social media how easy it is to hook up with people and just like talk to the next pair of legs because that's really all it is to men most men sorry um but it's just so easy to get that so why is it that they're allowed, you know, he's allowed to do what he wants, but I'm not? That's not okay. That's not okay. It's not okay to keep secrets. It's not okay to be sketchy. That double standard. You need to be equal. You need to be respectful of each other in a relationship. When those double standards start coming in, that's a red fucking flag. And you run, run away. <laughs> okay so I'm listen I know there are plenty of other red flags out there um those are just a few of the main ones that you're gonna see in a narcissist 
um, or really any kind of, you know, toxic relationship. Now, when you have these things in your life for a certain period of time, an extended period of time, and you are kind of molded and manipulated into this, you know, this kind of shell of a person almost um, that they've created, you end up with habits and defense mechanisms that you didn't even realize you were picking up. And that's what I want to talk about next. Because this has been huge for me over the past, well, okay. So after my divorce, I did get into another relationship shortly after and we were together for about three and a half years. Um, and it was during that time that I really started bringing awareness to these things. But it wasn't until the past like seven, eight months that I've really paid super close attention to them. And um, I've even been picking up on new ones that I didn't notice before. So one big thing for me that I struggle with the most and I know that it comes from being in a toxic and emotionally abusive relationship is always being worried and overthinking everything everything I am constantly worried that I'm gonna upset someone I'm constantly worried that I'm gonna do something wrong I'm constantly worried that someone's mad at me. I'm constantly, you know, overthinking every fucking situation, every conversation, every change in tone. Um, like, I will overthink things to death. Why? Because my ex would constantly make me feel like everything I did was wrong. That I was not good enough. I was never doing enough. You know, I wasn't a good enough housewife because I didn't, um, you know, fold the fucking laundry as soon as it came out of the damn dryer. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a good housewife because I didn't know how to fucking cook. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, the guy that I am talking to now doesn't care that I am a terrible cook. He just cooks instead and he doesn't mind. He loves cooking and it's great. And that's called compromise. And he's never made me feel fucking shitty about it. He's never critiqued my cooking. He's never told me that I'm a shitty cooker or a shitty cook, shitty cooker. I guess either one. No, I think it properly is shitty cook. Um, he's never told me that. Um, he's never made me feel like I was incapable because I'm not a great cook. Like I can cook, I can cook a meal, but I'm not the best cook out there. I'm not some freaking, you know, I'm just not the best cook. It's not my favorite thing to do. It is what it is. I've accepted it about myself. My man has accepted it about me and that's all that fucking matters. My ex, however, could not let that shit go. 
It was constant jokes about my cooking. And I know if anybody listening to this is uh, was close to our situation, all I have to say is chicken thighs. And I'm sure you're already fucking laughing because it was a constant joke for years that I purchased chicken thighs at the store. Yep, that was it. That was the end of the joke. I purchased chicken thighs instead of getting chicken breasts. I purchased chicken thighs. Who purchases chicken thighs? Why do they have them in the fucking store if you're not supposed to buy them? <laughs> like, what? What? Are you fucking kidding me? Butter. Butter was another one. I got soft, like, spreadable, like, um, country crock butter one time instead of getting stick butter. And he got pissed. And made me feel like I was stupid and that, you know, that that this is why I'm a uh, not a good cook because I don't pay attention to detail and pay attention to um, getting the good ingredients and all this kind of shit. I was constantly critiqued for how I spent my time, what I was wearing, how I folded clothes. Um, just just fucking everything, everything. So now I constantly fucking worry that everything I'm doing, every decision I'm making is wrong. I wor- I worry, I am indecisive as fuck. And I fucking overthink everything. Because he instilled in me that I was not good enough. That I wasn't worthy of being a wife. That no one would ever want me because of these things. Because I was so stupid for purchasing chicken thighs. And a lot of the overthinking also comes from him not communicating. Because never communicated anything with me how he was feeling or what was going on so I had to I I would just I began to come to my own conclusions about stuff and then I realized that my conclusions weren't always right so then I had to start thinking of other conclusions slowly but surely I became super anxious and a crazy overthinker I hope you guys are really noticing how even just little things over time can make such a fucking impact on your life. Okay, it doesn't matter if you've been with this person for, you know, a year or a week, you know, over time, these things compounding are going to make a fucking difference in who you are how you show up in the world, how you react to things, how you interact with other people. All because of this this toxic relationship, which is why this is so important. This isn't about you and your relationship. This is about you. This is about you being happy and finding what's best for you and living your best life. Living the life that you deserve. Being loved the way that you deserve. Because you're worthy of that love. You are so fucking worthy of it. 
And that was something that took me a really long time. And if I'm being honest, I probably am still not even all the way there with that one. Because it's really hard. It's really hard after being told for 10 years that, you know, you weren't loving the right way and you weren't doing enough and you weren't a good enough wife and X, Y, and Z, you know, it takes a long time to unlearn those things. So be patient with yourself, okay? Um, so a couple, some more habits, defense mechanisms that I've built over the years from being in this terrible fucking relationship um, was, okay, here's a good one that I actually just realized recently. So I, in my, with my new man, when we're texting, I get super anxious about making sure that I see his text and respond right away. So I would like leave my phone on like the text screen and make sure so that like if a text came through, which is I would just see it. And I was like constantly looking at my phone. I could barely focus. You know why? Because God forbid I didn't reply to a text in 30 seconds to my ex. I was cheating. I was a whore. Um, you know, I was a bitch. All these things. So it created this deep fucking fear in me that if I don't answer the phone, he's, he's going to think that. He's going to think those things about me. So there was one specific day, which I posted about on my Instagram um, and Facebook, you might have seen, but um, this is a true fucking story. I um, had, I, it was a day I wasn't working, <clears throat> so I had my alarms off and he, my, my guy called me and I didn't answer because I was asleep. I didn't hear it. It was earlier in the morning. Um, he texted me twice and he called me again. I didn't answer any of them. And then a little while later, I finally woke up and I saw missed calls. I saw missed texts. And the last text from him said that, um, he was basically that he was going to come see me, but, um, he knows I'm sleeping and he'll just have to come see me another time. I, 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 I had a meltdown. I started hysterically crying and looking back on it, I realized that that was a total overreaction to the situation. But in that moment, I was consumed with so much fear that he was never going to talk to me again. Like I truly believed to my core that he wasn't going to talk to me again because I missed his call. And it wasn't until that day, which again, this happened, I guess maybe it was like two months ago now. Um, it wasn't until that day that I realized that that was because my ex would get so incredibly pissed at me if I didn't answer my text or answer my phone when he called. I mean, that would be like, like two or three day fight. If I didn't answer my phone. 
Or if I, like I said, if I wasn't answering, it would be, you know, he would automatically jump to the fact that I was cheating or that I was a whore or that I was a bitch or that I didn't give a shit about him. And, you know, he always is there for me, but I'm never there for him and all this, you know. Well, sorry that, you know, my phone was downstairs and I was upstairs taking a shit and couldn't get to my phone. That doesn't mean, you know what I mean? It was, and they just make you feel bad for going to the bathroom. Like, or for sleeping. Like, it's incredible. So that's something that I've, that I realized that I was really struggling with. But I honestly, as soon as I was able to bring the awareness to it, I nipped that shit in the butt. So for about two weeks after that, I would not allow myself to respond immediately to his text. I'd wait a couple minutes before I responded. And it was a way for me to kind of like deal with my anxiety and be like, look, it's fine. Like nothing's happening. Because after that, when that, when I finally texted him and told him like, I'm so sorry, I was asleep. I'm so like, I was like going crazy. I was, he was probably like, what the hell? Um, But he replied super fucking sweet. And he's like, no, I'm not mad at you. Like, why would you think that? I wouldn't be mad at you over that. And that's when I was like, like the light bulb went off and I was like, oh my gosh, I am actually with somebody in a healthy way. And, you know, it's not, it's so weird. It's just those little moments that you don't even really think about when you have these kind of epiphanies about your, your healing process. It comes in waves, man. It comes in waves. So that's, so that was a bad habit that I had built, um, from being in that toxic situation. Um, another thing that kind of became a problem after being in that relationship that I realized when I was with, um, my ex fiance, um, the relationship after I was with my ex husband, Um, I realized that while I was with my husband, the definition of love that I had built in my brain was so fucking wrong, right? So when we're in relationships with people and we're treated a certain way, those kind of become standards, right? So, like, say you're with a guy and he makes you breakfast every Saturday, okay? But things just weren't working out and you guys break up. You get with your next guy and you have this subconscious standard of, like, well, why isn't he um, making me breakfast every Saturday, right? You have this, like, subconscious belief that that's how things should be. Well, the same kind of thing happens on the opposite spectrum with toxic stuff. So you start learning, at least for in my experience, what happened with me personally is that I attributed love to meaning that you fight and that you call each other names and that sometimes you hate each other and that sometimes you disrespect each other. But it's all okay because in the end... You have great makeup sex and everything is right in the world. Right? No, 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 no. That shit fucked me up. 
that whole back and forth fucked me up. Okay, I had truly believed, like, I didn't know how, when I got into my relationship, after I got divorced, I would always argue. It was, like, the first thing I did in any kind of situation because that's all I knew. And it wasn't just for my marriage. It was also from my parents' marriage that I watched growing up. You know, they argued. So from seeing that and then from being in another relationship where we were arguing constantly, I was like, well, this is what marriage is. Married couples argue and that's fine. I just have to deal with it. I'm just too thin skinned as he used to call me. (laughs) And that whole time I was sub like subconsciously rebuilding this definition of love in my head. So then when I got with my ex-fiance, I was, like I said, arguing for no fucking reason, you know, in situations that didn't need to be an argument. I would... So... One thing with my ex that I used to think was, like, this cute banter, my ex-husband. Um... When we were around people, like our friends, he would always be super fucking, like, belligerent with me. And he liked to drink, and he would always get very obnoxious, and it would always turn into him, you know, calling me a bitch, or calling me a cunt, or calling me, um, a psycho, or, you know, talking about our our sex life or something in front of other people. Um, you know, and I would go back and forth. Oh, well, you're just a fucking asshole. Oh, well, you're just a fucking bitch. You know, and we go back and forth and we'd laugh about it because we were, number one, drunk. And because we thought it was fucking normal. That's not normal. It's not normal. You shouldn't be calling each other those fucking names. So I started attributing that as to being what love was and what a relationship was. So when I got into my next relationship with my ex-fiance, I would do that. Like, I'd be like, why are you being such a dick? Or why are you being such an asshole? And be like, whoa, like, why are you calling me that? I'm like, oh, well, I don't really mean it like that. And he's like, well, like, that's like a harsh word. And he's right. He was right. And now in, in with the person that I'm with now, we don't do that. Like we have little name, like call each other punk or something. But, um, actually I, I said that he was an asshole the other night, jokingly, and he knew I was joking. He laughed too. But even saying it that one time, it like, like I, I don't know. I felt like this like energy inside of me and like this anxiety like rush up and I was like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? I can't believe I said that. I just shouldn't have said that. That was wrong because I've been unlearning it. And that that's what healing looks like. Y'all, that is healing. So it, it does get better. It does get better. You can unlearn it. Um, It just takes a long time. So 
yeah, this definition of love that I had created in my head was making me subconsciously act a certain way and react a certain way in different situations with my subsequent, subsequent, in my subsequent relationship. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. The last thing I want to touch on that has been, was really big for me in dealing with all this. Um, I, anybody that knows me knows I'm very emotional. Um, I will cry very easily. Um, and I don't, I honestly, I don't remember being like that before my marriage. Um, you know, I know I would cry occasionally, but I really don't think it, it ever got as bad as it did until I was with him. Um, because he made me feel so fucking terrible. Um, so I would cry all the time, but then it got to the point where he would tell me that, like I said, he would call me thin skinned, like you need, you're so thin skinned, um, you need to like get a spine or like, um, <clears throat> you're such a baby, you cry too much. I hate it when you cry. You're just trying to get attention. So I was crying because I was feeling emotions such as a, like loneliness and anger I was feeling disrespected. I was feeling unloved. So in response to those things, I cried. Then his response to that was that I was doing it for attention and that I would cry too much and that I was a baby. So he was invalidating all of my emotions before he even knew what the emotions were, all because he saw me crying. Again, I mean, we've been talking about it this whole episode, guys. These things happen and over time you create new habits, okay? It's human. It's human nature. We adapt. It's, it's what we do. So I then began to believe that my feelings didn't matter and that my feelings were um, too much. And that they were wrong. And that I was wrong for feeling that way. You know? And it it made me really, really struggle with expressing myself. And this is something else that I'm actively working on. Is expressing myself more and opening up more. Because there are certain things that I haven't talked about. Um, it, with my new guy, because I know as soon as I start talking about it, I'm going to cry and I don't want to cry in front of him because I don't want him to think that I'm a crybaby or that I'm weak or, you know, that I'm trying to get attention or whatever, because those subconscious beliefs are still there. Even though I'm fully fucking aware, as you can tell in the moment, it's really hard. It's really fucking hard. So how do we get through it? Okay, I want to move into phase three here of this podcast. 
So how do I get through things like that? How have I been able to bring awareness to these things and start to heal from them? Well, number one, talking about it. So it took me a long time to actually open up about the things that happened in my marriage to my friends, to my family. Um, I honestly still don't even know if a lot of my family knows a lot of the crap that went on between us. Um, but I do know that where I'm at now, I am, it's so much easier to talk about shit because I've been practicing. And the thing that I find most satisfying about talking about the things that have happened in my life and the struggles that I've endured and the pain that I've had is that it takes its power away. Because when you are scared to talk about it because of maybe what people, you're worried what people will think, you're worried what people will say to you, you know, you're worried they'll judge you for it. Um, When you're, When you talk about it, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Let me back up a second here. (laughs) Um, Rewind. So what I'm trying to say is when you talk about your emotions, takes the power away that they hold over you. Because if you are holding on to that fear of what people are going to think of you, that is that that thing having power over you, right? It's controlling you. It's controlling you in a way that it's keeping you from sharing something or it's keeping you from opening up. It's controlling you. When you talk about it and you realize how actually, unfortunately and sadly, how normal it is that people go through these toxic relationships and that you're not alone, it takes the fucking power away, right? Because you, the more you talk about it, you realize how many people can relate to you and how many people have been through those things. So you lose that fear of being judged and you lose that fear of talking about it. And therefore, the control it has over you, the power it has over you just vanishes. I'll tell you what, if you had asked me five years ago about some of the things I had talked about today in this episode, I would have never opened up about it, especially the first story I told you guys about the blowy. Um, That took a long time for me to talk to people about because I was so ashamed of how I reacted in that situation because he made me feel so wrong for being upset at him. Then I felt stupid for just letting it go and for forgiving him for it. I was ashamed. So I didn't want to talk about it. That thing held power over me. Once I started talking about it and realizing how fucked up it was and how I was not crazy in that situation, I was like, oh shit. Like, people need to learn from this. That was textbook gaslighting. So it's a perfect fucking example of how crazy gaslighting can be. 
in like a really um, extraordinary situation. Caught red-handed, literally pants around your ankles. Still deny it. It's crazy. So talking about that shit, it just takes all of its power away, all of its control away that it has over you. And it just frees you to open your mind and and to let go of that pain and open yourself up to other beautiful, happy things. The other thing that I had to really learn how to do in order to not only bring awareness to these things, but figure out how I was going to work through them is that I had to sit with my emotions and I had to figure out what was really fucking going on. I had to get intentional about my days and paying super close attention to my habits, which is really hard. Trust me, it is so fucking hard. But if you can do those awareness check-ins that I talk about a couple times a day, it really fucking helps because you're taking that second to think about the past couple of hours, right? And the more you do that, the easier it becomes to notice things in the moment. Because that mindfulness, that awareness, it's a muscle, just like any other muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So if you are able to bring awareness to things every couple of hours, sooner or later, you're going to be in that situation that I was in where I was all upset because I missed his phone call. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this because of my ex-husband and his reactions when I missed his call. Right? It took me you know, a little bit, but it didn't take me days or weeks to figure that one out. It only took me a couple hours to figure that one out. I was upset for a little while, but I got over it quickly, quicker than usual, quicker than I would have five years ago. We'll say that because I really just sat down, took the time to figure out what's been going on with me. I journaled about it. That's what I did. And I got super fucking intentional about what I was doing each day, how I was reacting each day, how I was interacting with different people, and really how I was talking to myself. You have to get fucking intentional about it. When you look at this, healing is kind of a job in the beginning. It kind of helps <laughs> because you're, you put more work into your job, right? You're more willing to journal every day. Maybe you're willing to take notes in your phone and really keep track of the things that you're doing. And sooner or later, those things just become second nature to you. So if you put in the fucking work now and like really sit with yourself and figure this shit out, you're only helping yourself in the long run. You are the one that's getting all those benefits from that, from taking that time. So why not fucking do it? You're improving yourself making your life better, making yourself happier, giving yourself, like, letting go of some pain and some stress and some trauma from your life, we can all fucking benefit from that. So put in the work, figure your shit out, take the time for a couple months or whatever to really be hyper-focused about it. And I promise you, if you do those things on a consistent basis, 
it's going to become second nature to you. Yes, I still journal. Yes, I still talk about my shit. But I am so much better able to be in a situation and stop and be like, Heather, listen, girlfriend, you are doing that because of X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, you're actually angry right now because of something that happened this morning, not because of this situation. You're just taking it out on this person. Like, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And it's been hard as fuck to get there. And it is taking me a solid five years of working on it to get there. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying that because it gets fucking easier and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But you have to be willing to put in the work now to get yourself there. It's so fucking worth it though. The other thing, the last thing that I do that has really helped me in my healing journey is that when I am feeling overwhelmed with emotions, so whether I'm just feeling really sad about something or, you know, when I get really angry, I also get cry. Um, I let that shit out. If I feel like I need to cry, if I feel like I just need to fucking lay in bed all day, if I need that bowl of ice cream, that comfort bowl of ice cream, then I do it. I let myself feel. Because the more you allow yourself to feel and the more that you just sit with those emotions and notice those emotions when you're actually feeling them, the better you are at understanding them. Okay, sitting with them in the moment when you actually are feeling that sadness in the pit of your stomach, you know, and you just like feel empty inside. You know, I, I, I've been there. I, I know that that feeling. It's really hard. It's really fucking hard. And the only thing you can do is let out fucking tears. But when you're sitting in that that pain and you take a step back and you're like, look, I am feeling this right now. Why am I feeling this way? It's a lot easier than if a week, two weeks later, you're like, oh, remember that day that I was feeling really sad? Why did I feel that way? It's hard to look back because emotions are a finicky thing, right? We can get triggered super easily and we might and a lot of our triggers are things we don't really real like notice and realize. So in the being able to look back two weeks later and see what you what triggered you to make you feel a certain way is really freaking hard. So when you feel those waves of emotion come, allow them to come. It's not a bad thing. They were taught that emotions are so bad and make us weak and are so something to be like ashamed of. They're not. It's just human. We all have emotions and they are a roller coaster for most of us all the time. Right? We can go from waking up and having the best freaking morning to being a little frustrated because we realized we ran out of our favorite, you know, our favorite yogurt that we were looking forward to having this morning. So we're a little frustrated 
and then we leave for work and we catch every red light and you know you get stuck in traffic so then you're really angry but then you get to work and things start to work out so then um, you know, you're happy again, but then you get a call from a client that's really annoying and you get really angry and irritated. Like you're constant, our, our emotions are constantly up and down. That's just, that's, is the human experience. It's a beautiful experience. Don't be ashamed of them. You're supposed to have emotions. It's okay. Doesn't make you any less. It makes you so much more when you actually take the time to notice them and allow yourself to feel them it makes you stronger because you understand yourself more so that brings me to the end of this episode of toxicity these toxic relationships that we find ourselves in now um I hope that you got something out of this um, or maybe you know somebody who is in a, a possible toxic situation. Send this to them. Share it with them. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You get your notifications as soon as the, the new episodes are live. Um, and let me know what you think. Let me know if things you guys want to hear about on the podcast um, uh, you know, always check in with me. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. I love getting feedback from you guys. I love knowing what you think. Um, so always feel free to contact me on my DMs or in my, um, email, heathernicolecoaching at gmail.com. Um, you know, slide into my DMs at the Heather underscore Nicole on Instagram. Um, I'm here for you guys. I'm here for you. Um, I do this for you. So you tell me what you want and I will deliver as best I can. All right. So I love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And always be that badass, fierce fucking goddess that I know you are. I love you. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.